Welcome to Rogues on the Road, discovered in 1812, naked and afraid under the deep and unforgiving canopy of Central Park. This indigenous duo sold their share of the Louisiana Purchase, swam to Port Chester, and set up shop with their co-host, the Standby Gypsy. From their humble beginnings, Rogues on the Road has quickly become the longest running and most popular food and beverage podcast in recorded history. So, sit back, pour a cold pint, and tighten your spray skirt, you ninny muggin. All right, welcome back to Rogues on the Road. We are back. I'm Matt. I'm Rich, and here we're here with John in somewhere in New York. <laughs> we, <laughs> Apparently near Newports. We're we're, uh, we're here with John Cox, a Cooper, and we are located here in High Fa- High, the Hamlet of High Falls. It is a Hamlet. Hello, everyone. Well, welcome. Yes, welcome to the Hamlet. Thanks for having Falls. Thank yes. you for uh, joining us. Thank you for uh, sharing your craft, which we will get deep into in a, in a yeah. few. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome to the Cooperage. It's great to have you guys out here. Yeah. Um, and so, just before we started this, we went into a little bit of High Falls. I had I went to school in New Paltz. Where, if anybody knows the Hudson Valley, we're near New Paltz. We're near the Mohonk Mountain House, which is kind of famous. We are um, in the shadows of it. You can actually see the water tower yeah, here as up there. Yeah. And but you were saying something about High Falls and Canal. Well, for a long time, there was the DNH Canal. In fact, we were the home of the DNH Canal Museum, and that connected uh, Rosendale and the Hudson River to uh, Carbondale, Pennsylvania, where some of the first trains came out. And we needed coal to make the cement. And uh, they needed bluestone and the cement. And so we had a canal that came back and forth, pretty much what Route 17 and Route 209 are. I had no idea. And because we had falls, we were a portage town. So that meant you stayed here overnight while your boat was put through the canal. Oh, wow. the five locks right down here on the road. And there was lots of things to do at night. There were whorehouses and bars. And you know, High Falls is a good job. <laughs> That's what and you in the do. morning, you get back on the barge. So yeah, uh, we're High Falls. And the uh, j- town adjacent, Rosendale. Um, they found hydraulic cement here, and the cement Statue of Liberty, Washington Monument, Brooklyn Bridge, Roebling Ooh. was here in High oh, Falls wow. and built the Widow Widow Jane's Mine, famous for. Oh, that's up here. Yeah, it's it's literally two miles away. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we, we've been to some uh, good concerts down there. Yeah, and all that cement went down the Hudson in a down barrel. to Brooklyn Bridge, right? In a barrel. In a barrel. Uh-huh. This is a huge coopering town. The right. cement. And we can get into it, but every major industry relied on the barrel, especially this one. And local people in the trees here, up in the mountains, they were called huh. hoopers, and they made the wooden hoops. They would go to Rosendale, trade in the hoops. Oh, wow. Get their belongings, stuff from the store. It was a patrician town. The cement company owned everything. Right. But it, what they didn't want to do was make barrels. They needed hoops, and they needed wood. And you wouldn't, you know, when we think barrels, go. when you think barrels, you think some kind of beverage that you're going to drink or consume you don't think why would you put anything like why would you put cement in a barrel or why would you put like crude oil in a barrel but i guess that's the only vessel you had back then i believe it was 1847 when oil came out of the ground in pennsylvania and as soon as it came out of the ground they needed something to put it in they only had one thing that was barrels Uh, a few years later in the high valley uh, rockefeller not only has the largest oil company but he owns the largest cooperage in america of course he he needed the barrels of course Uh, but just not for that but for whale oil tobacco cotton cement salted meats fish eggs pelts nails glass 
you name it. It was shipped, stored, and used uh, in a barrel. In 1901, I think there are 90 million people in America, and there are 93 million barrels. Our ancestors relied on this, and the Coopers who made them, maintained them, and stored them, and accessed them uh, for uh, 2,000 years. That's crazy. That's amazing. So it's kind of well-planned that you opened up your cooperage here in High Falls. Uh, sure, it wasn't planned. Uh, it was it was laid on the table yeah. for him. Well, every town had a cooperage, and every town, if you have a Cooper Street, that's where the cooperage was. Oh, wow. Um, you had different coopers. You had myself. I'm a tight cooper. That means I make vessels that hold liquid. Okay. You had a slack cooper. And those were huge, huge factories making barrels that were holding everything from nails uh, to the cement we talked about. It was paper-lined. Right. And... Uh, that's uh, so a huge industry of slack. And then there was what was called the white cooper. If you needed a bowl, a bucket, a churn, a spoon, anything for your kitchen utensils, and utensils back then meant everything, right. not just fork and knife, uh, you went to your white cooper. So if you have Cooper Street in your town, that's where the cooperage was. Yeah, right. It's usually near Sawkill Road <laughs> or Sawmill Road. Sawmill, yeah, right, because right. that's where the saw... Right. Yeah, you just don't think about those things. And no, they right. relied on it the way that we... Imagine if cardboard went away today. Uh, the way we move products would change, and that's what the barrel was. We'd live next to Cardboard Street. <laughs> right, yeah. My name's Joe Cardboard. Box Avenue. Yeah, that's where cardboard was made. <laughs> and because it's one of the ancient trades, right, it's something you're named after. Uh, the Millers uh, milled, yep. right. Sawyer sawn, right. uh, and the Coopers uh, made Coopered vessels. And the, the term Cooper comes from the, actually, the, the woodworking technique. I'm using Cooper joinery. Um, and that's where the term Cooper comes from. And um, how'd you get into this? Oh, well, I did custom interiors for about 28 years in Philadelphia, New York. Okay. I was trained in South Philadelphia by some old Italians. And, uh, and I learned the, the woodworking trade. And about seven years ago now, I heard out there was a barrel shortage. Oh, barrel wow. crisis. <laughs> Why? Where were you for the barrel crisis? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a barrel crisis because... Uh, Craft distilling had exploded, especially here in New York and Washington State. Um, and Cuomo, our governor, uh, changed a lot of laws and made it easier. And we had a huge craft distilling boom in New York and all over the area. All those distillers, whether it's Jack Daniels or two guys with a license in their garage, are federally mandated to use new charred oak barrels. They cannot reuse the barrel. Oh, wow. So if you open up business then you guys are going to start distilling and you call the barrel company about six seven years ago they would say we would love to get you some barrels and we have an 18 month lead time yep <laughs> i was in that <laughs> it's like oh okay because uh, 18 months and what happened was really um at that time the major cooperages and sort of still are either in kentucky and they're handling uh, the big boys. Missouri. And, the, and then, yeah, and in Napa Valley. And those guys oh. are handling yeah. the wine industry. So there's some in Missouri and everything. But the Kentucky guys and the Missouri guys were ignoring what was going on in New York and Washington. Probably thought it was cute. Uh, yeah. And then in places like Tuttletown, which is right over the ridge from us. Right. Um, most of your listeners know Tuttletown. And uh, uh, a mountain ridge uh, divides us, but it's right here in our backyard. And uh, so that's why I got in. That's why there was a barrel shortage. Um, I bought a few barrels. I took them apart, reverse engineered them. was fascinated. Put them back together. And yeah, and, and just took the stave and said, okay, how would I make this? Uh, 28 years of custom fabrication, as I said. And uh, so I approached that. And I had a wood shop here. We were making 
we're still operating, so we have the machinery. I was lucky and I got a large collection of tools from the 18th, 19th and 18th century. And I have some here on the table That's that amazing. you listeners Love cannot it. see. So these are actually, uh, these are, these date back to the 19th century. Oh yeah, and we use them too. Yeah. And, are you uh, still use them? Oh, we definitely use them. So it was a collection in Ottawa that was deassessing their collection. Okay. Got a huge collection, you know, a really nice collection of uh, Coopering tools. Coopering. So for those who are listening, we're looking at what's this? Uh, that's called the Cooper's Ads, and it's sort of the quintessential. It looks like a small hammer. Yep, with a hammer. like an axe on the back. Yeah, what they call an ads, which is a very uh, traditional, almost medieval uh, a tool to scoop out a log. Right. Yeah. Um, and we use that to bang our rings down. So, A, I reverse engineered these barrels, and B, these tools showed me what these people did all day. And the way they had to cut what's called the crows, the chime. And I figured out how to get my mid-20th century furniture machines to do it. Oh, wow. Fascinating. Yeah. So, it's you're, you're actually, it's a combination of new and old, but... You, yeah, I mean, it's still... You adapted one, the new to work to do what the old did. Right, so like the machine's called a shaper, and it's, you know, right. it's been used, uh, which is basically a really large router. So how could I get my shapers to cut these profiles, if you will? Um, coopering is mostly an assembly thing, you know. Usually, sometimes the staves are made elsewhere, uh, and the headstock can be made elsewhere, and then it's sort of assembled and toasted and charred, and, and the rings are made. Right, so, just just for listeners, sure. you know, from the creative part of, especially if you're going to age, you know, if you're going to, you're either going to store liquid for me, like whiskey, or you're going to age it, but 70% of the flavor of, of a whiskey is said to come from the barrel that it's in. Right. Sure, we're definitely adding the flavor profile. So, and one of the reasons is because of the oak and the way the oak has either been toasted or toasted and charred. Uh, we talked about that federal mandate. It's not just any wood. It says it has to be uh, charred white oak. Now, it's funny because in Scotland, they're federally mandated to use used barrels. Yes. So right. the Scotsman took one of my new barrels and used it. He wouldn't be allowed to call it. Right. And the reason these regulations are here is because our government uh, collects a large amount of tax, both state and federal. From in fact, it's how Hamilton right. started the economy, taxing the farmers for the whiskey. Uh, our economy is based on it. It's why the IRS was formed. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> you got uh, more wood than we do. And the Great Whiskey Rebellion. <laughs> the Great Whiskey Rebellion tests Washington early on in his presidency. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, those farmers did not want to be taxed uh, for it. So you called the the top and bottom something a he- head and... The heads. Uh-huh, yeah. So the top They're and both the heads? Yeah. So okay. right now we're just talking... Let, Let's just talk about a quintessential barrel, a barrel you would see in a video game. Right, yes. right, right, right. Pirate ship. Or, yes. Right. So, right. And we're going to call that a barrel. We're going to talk about some other coopered vessels later, but that's just a standard barrel, right. a whiskey barrel. And uh, that barrel has, yes, a head, top and bottom. Okay. Uh, it's made up of staves. The staves are bent uh, into the, to make the barrel form. Okay. Which is very important because uh, all this trade we talked about, this was all based on nautical and ships. Um, so the reason the barrel has that bilge in it is so one man can roll easily right. and pivot right. up to 900, you know, 1,000 pounds. Wow. And to roll that then onto a ship or onto a rowboat that would be lifted onto a ship. Um, and that's why the shape of the barrel is like that. How'd you bend the stave? Yeah. How do you get perfect? Because, I mean, when you look at your pirate ship 
barrel, which actually even what you're producing and what we see is like perfectly. Right. How do you get the shipped. perfect? perfect. <laughs> How yeah. do you do that? I mean, if I was going to make a barrel, it would be. <laughs> yeah, if you miss. It's, it's very simple. It's just like, one word. <laughs> yeah. And that word is math. Okay. Math. It's math. Oh, math. Okay. <laughs> no, it's math. Just like jazz. No, it, it's math. And it's the math of it uh, that makes everything come together. And that's where we kind of weave back into what Cooper joinery is. And Cooper joinery is a way of cutting wood at an angle. Uh, so that it fits together to create uh, a, what I'm going to call a polygon or shape. And you definitely need that math if you want a perfect circle. Yeah, no shit. And, right, and, and, and the width. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's a very rudimentary uh, mathematical formula. That's something they were able to discover over 2,000 years ago uh, to do it. And, uh, and the best example of Cooper joinery is a picture frame. We talk to your listeners about a picture frame. If you guys can imagine a picture frame, it's four pieces of wood. Let's say it's a square picture frame. Those four pieces of wood are joined together with an angle on the end. And that angle, most of you know, is a 45-degree angle. And that frame wouldn't work if it was a 48-degree angle. And it wouldn't work if it was a 42-degree angle. And when I make my frames, they're anywhere anywhere from like 35 (laughs) to like 70. (laughs) Why a stupid picture frame? (laughs) But if it's cut right at 45, those four pieces go together, and you've seen it. It goes together very tight and very clean. So we just made a four-sided polygon uh, using a specific angle at the end of that wood. So if we can now just sort of pretend that we have a 25-sided frame, we use that same mathematical formula to get that angle, right. uh, and that whatever that angle is, let's say it's you know, 8.2. Uh, when we cut into the wood and do that, we would create that polygon. And this should equal 360 degrees because it's a circle. It sort of equals 360 degrees. Yeah, we're making a rough polygon. Gotcha. And, uh, That's amazing. Yeah, so that's the uh, that's the math behind it. And that math is very rudimentary, and so, and that's what a water silo is. This yes. is what a hot tub is. This is what a water tower on the roof of a building is. Right. A hot tub, right. barrel, a tank is all used. And and you know, Cooper joinery is used in a lot of other woodworking techniques. If you ever see a wood turner's, or if you see a house with large federal wooden columns out front, that column was glued up using Cooper joinery. And then it was turned on a lathe to create the smooth shape. Yes. Uh, so that joinery yeah. technique is using a lot of things. Have you ever seen an arch with stones over an archway? Uh, that's the same thing. There's a specific angle to create, in that case, a half circle. Just All right, so we're looking at a barrel here, and you've probably got, I don't know, 20 pieces of wood, right? And uh-huh. what makes it waterproof? The fact that it's just so well calculated and tight it's the math and it's also like the jedi we use the force <laughs> that's amazing the man. cooper is a jedi it's the force it's the I'm force like, of there's the gonna steel. be a glue in there somewhere you're like why no glue. <laughs> how does that not leak yeah exactly that's amazing and that's why there's not many coopers around yes it's very hard it's I'm a, sure it's, yeah. A, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's very difficult yep and after the math and after the woodworking then it's just like rudimentary plumbing like why is this leaking <laughs> where Damn is it, it leaking and I, stop it I, I've, I've been through that yeah. so yes I'm no I'm, just, I'm only a plumber now <laughs> no but it's forced so let's talk about the barrel again let's go back to that yeah, yeah, pirate yeah. ship barrel and the bilge in the center there okay if you can imagine uh, taking a tool and banging the ring down on the barrel, that barrel has six rings, if you can imagine. Yep. And if I started to bang on one of those rings, 
It would apply force to the barrel, pressing that bilge in. Right. And it would confine that wood into the shape that I wanted. Um, the barrel is also presenting an internal force. The pressure of the liquid inside is pressing against that bilge. And, and we're relying on that. Right? The same way boat builders know that it's going to be pressurized from the outside of the hull. Uh, so that force of us banging the rings down is what holds the wood together and keeps it together. There's no glue. There's no screws. Uh, the head might have dowels in it to help align it. That head is usually six or seven pieces of wood. But it's all the force. Now, um, we also make tanks, and we have a small tank here. And I'm going to use the term tank for, uh, for you can all imagine, a hot tub. So that doesn't have the bilge that our pirate ship barrel has. But it's the same joinery. And just because the stave has been cut straight. And um, if your listeners can imagine the American football, and if we unstitch that American football, we have four elongated diamonds of leather. Can we all imagine yeah. that? Yep. As you stitch those elongated diamonds of leather together, you start to get this shape that has a bulge in the middle and starts to taper again, like right. that pirate ship barrel. If those four pieces of leather weren't an elongated diamond and they were a rectangle... You would stitch that together and you would have like a tube or a sleeve or a tank, like a hot tub or a silo or a water tower. So that's the two things. Does the wooden stave have a bilge to it, a bulge in the middle, like that piece of leather on the American football? Or is it a straight piece? A straight piece will give you a silo or a tank. The bilge piece will give you a barrel. If you cut the ends off of a football... You really get a barrel shape. Yes. That's anything. Try throwing that. It's going to leak. It's going to leak, yeah. We tried it. So uh, that's Cooper joinery, and that's the, the making of a cask right there, and what's the difference between a tank. So uh, we have a tank here, and uh, that water tower and that silo and that hot tub, you've usually seen there's a tightening mechanism. Yes. Right? Like a nut, right, right. on the silo. Yes. There's two rods and tighten. Yep. That's because that tank does not have the bilge to pound against. Oh, fascinating. So if I took this ring and just kept pounding on a tank, it would just go down, down, down until it right, fell right, off right. the other side. Right. Right. So what it needs is a mechanical fastener that can be tightened, okay. usually with two wrenches okay. or a bolt. And you, if it, if our listeners are in the New York City area or are in a metro area, then seeing those water towers, you can see those tightening straps. You can on see the rods. Yep, right, and it's right, the same right. as a silo. Okay, uh, same uh, same thing. Right. So, uh, yeah. So that's the difference between a tank and a thing. But it's all using Cooper joinery, and we use both of them. Uh, our large tanks are used as fermentation vessels, and in the distilling world, as a lot of your listeners know, it's called a washback. Um, and this is where the fermentation happens prior to distilling and what's called an open washback. If you've ever been to Scotland, to the distilleries there, you'll see these large open tanks. You also see these large open tanks in Japan where they make shoyu and different soy sauces, these old large tanks, usually with braided bamboo. Okay. Um, that bamboo, as it shrinks, will tighten under the tank. Okay, so if you add moisture to what we're looking at right now, that's going to... Expand? Yes, the wood's going to swell, which is great because the steel's not. The steel's going to hold it in line. It's going to get even tighter. It's going to get even tighter. Even tighter. And the liquid is going to take on the taste of the wood, correct? Well, yeah. So in the case of the whiskey barrel, um, there's sugars in that wood. There's cellulose, (laughs) semi-hellulose. 
semi-cellulose. Uh, hemicellulose. Yes. Thank you. And uh, anyway, there's sugars present in the wood structure uh, of the oak. And by toasting them and by charring them, you release them, uh, okay. depending on that. So we can add flavor with that way with the oak. The oak also contains tannins, and those tannins are being used um, in, in the, the flavor profile. Cool. Now, with my tanks, I create a neutral biome. We use fir. Uh, down south, they use cypress. Um, you can also cypress, use huh? uh, white cedar. In Japan, they use something similar to cedar, what they That's have, cool. shugi. And that wood does not have tannins and has a low sugar content um, because these long fermentations, they do want to pick up wood notes, but, you know, the shoyu manufacturer doesn't want a whole, you know, tannin yeah. wash in there. Yeah. So, and, and the same with the, uh, uh, the wash back there, the distillers. They're not looking to introduce tannins in that fermentation process. They're looking to, uh, you know, have a large vessel that they can do their fermentation is that isn't stainless steel and that creates a flavor. Those tannins will be introduced to the whiskey later during the maturation process in the oak barrel. Now, what decides what, uh, the wood? Um, and uh, what, what are the... You, you'd mentioned some of the wood. Yeah, well, so mostly, and we'll go back to the whiskey barrel now, that is uh, white oak. And not only is it white oak, but it's quarter sawn white oak. Your listeners might have heard in the beginning, I said, welcome to the Cooperage. The name of my Cooperage is Quercus Cooperage. That's Quercus Cooperage. And Quercus is the Latin genus name for oak. Quercus alba is white oak. Quercus roja, red oak, and, and so on. Only quarter sawn white oak cut to one-inch staves and bent will hold liquid. If the log is not cut quarter sawn and you have what's called flat sawn or rift sawn white oak, um, the vessels of the wood will allow the moisture to come out. Okay. The tree has a few jobs, and one of them mostly is to move uh, water and minerals and nutrients through its system, through its cell structure. So uh, that cell structure is there, may, already ready to move liquid. So it has to be cut so that cell structure is put uh, across the face. And what it is is the medullary ray of the white oak. If your listeners uh, know anything about mission furniture, arts and crafts furniture, um, you've seen this decorative detail on it, these squiggles, which are called medullary rays, and it's what gives mission furniture its decorative look. Those medullary rays are present in white oak more than any other wood. About 38% of the mass of white oak is medullary rays. Okay. And in those rays is a cell structure that helps to stop the water from leaking out. Which is why you use oak. There you go. Let's do it. Right. Now on fir and woods that we don't have to bend in these large tanks that we make out of fir or cypress, uh, the stave is very thick. And uh, we, we're not relying on bending it. Right. Uh, so that, will, that wood will hold as long as it has the right cell structure and no knots or defects. And is, is the wood that's, that Coopers use in the United States and around the world, is most of it sustainable? Or are there, do you know if... Oh, no. No. <laughs> oh, no. No. Not well, at all. Damn it. Why can't we have Shut one it. green, like, it's, you know, the big myth about cork is it's not sustainable and it's totally sustainable. Well, the reason it's not sustainable or that it's uh, oak is losing its dominance is because of fire suppression and Smokey the Bear. Yeah. Right. Um, once we started fire suppression in the early 30s, uh, we changed the dynamics of the forest, uh, which used to help and aid in the growth of oak. Now we're seeing a lot more maple and poplars right. uh, taking over, and especially the way the forest floor is laid out with leaves. So and anyway, there's a lot of reasons. So, But oak has lost its dominance. So in that way, it's getting less sustainable because we have less, uh, less numbers of it. French oak's very valuable. One of the reasons it's valuable is because even before Napoleon, 
Um, the way it was harvested, the way it's auctioned off annually is very rigorous and controlled by the government. Interesting. Whereas here in America, we're just basically scavengers. Yeah. We're grabbing a pocket and just we keep digging until we hit some line that <laughs> and then go somewhere else. And and because else a, a lot of that wood is on private land, too, uh, here in America. So, um, but Oak is trying to make a comeback, and there are some things. And even here on the ridge that we talked about, we're here on the Shawangunk Ridge uh, in the foothills of the Catskills. And they are doing some controlled burns and trying to bring uh, the white oak back, and specifically because of the the nutrients and and the food content that acorns provide right. uh, to a large, vast ecosystem of yep. mammals yeah. and, and animals that live in the forest. So right. you take those acorns away, and uh, you're starting to have a problem. So that's one of the reasons they're trying to make sure you know, it stays hardy. Let's go. Wow, <laughs> it's a Deep, complex you, you, operation. It's it's a whole new way of looking yeah, it is. at. That's yes, cool. And, and you know, I've never you, even thought about any of it. Yeah, and the <laughs> fact that you're not allowed to reuse them doesn't help. Doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. Most 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 of the barrels in in the United States from the big distilleries end up going on to uh, Europe and right. Uh, sure, and Europe yeah. and Scotland. Yeah, but you know, it's uh, I've I've had a few barrels end up going to breweries. So they there's right there's and still, doesn't. European barrels like multiply use their barrels for different types of wines. Sure, yeah, you have cognac. Uh, cognac. <laughs> I'm reading that sorry. Cognac. You have cognac, uh, brandy, sherry, right. a lot of different uh, things that you right. know. There's a huge uh, sherry right. market in Spain. And the large sherry casks they make. So right. yeah, there's other cooperage industries outside of just the right. whiskey, right. but that does seem to dominate. Now you so. You know, we, we kind of came into this thinking, you know, when you think Cooper, okay, when you get a basic understanding of a Cooper and what a Cooper does, mm-hmm. you think you you go through the pirate barrel. You, mm-hmm. when we came in, you started showing us all these other vessels that has kind of diversified what you do. And I had no idea. I mean, I knew you were doing um, uh, some of this, but um, yeah, how has that grown and what, what kind of vessels are you doing now? Yeah, well, you know, um, we got into it, and I think your listeners, you guys have interviewed Steve Osborne. Yeah, right. Yes. Earlier this morning. Yeah, and Steve asked uh, us, Steve has about 300 of our barrels, and he has two large fermenting tanks. And he asked me early on if uh, I was interested in making these tanks, these washbacks. And I looked into it, and, you know, we figured out we could do it. And as I was researching those tanks, I built a small prototype, two-gallon tank. And at the same time, I realized that in Japan, they're using these large tanks also, but not for distilling spirits. They're aging shoyu. What's that? Shoyu is a type of soy sauce. Okay. Uh, we call soy sauce. It's different. Uh, okay. Some use rice, some use barley. Okay. Also, sake manufacturers use these large tanks. And I was able to find information. They call it a kiyoki. Um, and they're large, and they have these beautiful braided bamboo rings around them. Mm. And actually, you know, the, the beauty of Instagram is I was able to start talking to these guys. Yeah, right. Yeah. Google Translate, and they were excited to talk to me in New York. <laughs> I was excited to talk to them. And, you know, it, it quickly dawned on me, and they probably knew this also, but, you know, we were doing the same thing. Right. We, we were doing the same thing day in, day out. Right. Maybe different machines, and right, right. those guys do a lot of handwork on the bamboo. But uh, we were building the same coopered vessel. So um, I called my small tank the Kiyoki, and 
Uh, we started selling them to a burgeoning fermenting uh, world that now seemed to be waving over oh. the culinary world. Yeah. Everyone's fermenting and making shoyu, and especially uh, koji, which is another uh, a chef came to me and asked me if I could make a koji ban, koji tray, and I didn't know what it was, and I... I said, let me look into it. I'm sure we can. And I found then it's a traditional uh, cedar. I'll call it a drawer uh, for the listeners. Uh, it's drawer-like. And it's a shallow tray um, that koji spores are introduced, either to rice or barley, uh, to make anything from sake to uh, shoyu, as we talked about, different soy sauces, amakazi, and, and yeah. many different things. And that just led us into some of these guys, these heavy hitters from Copenhagen and uh, Nashville. And we just started producing a lot of uh, uh, wooden vessels for them because they all go to Japan to train and to learn. Or they don't all go, but if they do go, they can come back and they can mimic everything uh, except the wooden fermentation. So we're supplying them with uh, open top uh, wooden fermentation. And that's the tank we have here in front of us, a Kyoki. We do them in half gallons. We do them in two gallons. We do them in four gallons. Uh, we just sent out a 300-gallon. Oh, wow. We, we sent a five uh, 300 gallons out to Seattle, Chuckanut Bay. Our friends at the Chuckanut Bay Distillery are fermenting in them. Um, so we can make any size uh, necessary. And the smalls have been selling really good. We've been selling online, again, on Instagram. It's been very helpful. And they're fermenting all different kinds of rice, uh, vegetables. Oh, there's, a, there's a process fish, called uh, uh, nukadoku. Not nails. No, no nails. Uh, <laughs> Nukadoku. I don't ferment too well. There's a process called uh, Nukadoku, which I'm probably mispronouncing, and that's a, a bran, a fermented bran, and uh, pickles like daikon, if you ever had pickled vegetables yeah. in a shushi restaurant, it's being fermented in the warmth of the bran. It's almost that's like so sand. Cool. It's almost like burying the vegetables in yeah. the sand. And the wood is a great insulator right. for that, and, uh, and uh, people really like using it. Yeah, herring. Um, someone makes a traditional Chinese dairy-based uh, dessert in it. Oh, wow. I have cheesemakers who make these Stinton cheeses in them. Oh. They, in France, that's called a girl, a G-E-R-L-E, a girl. Mm. And uh, it's a wooden vat that they use for their cheesemaking. Mm. Um, we have guys using our uh, chioki, which I trademarked, uh, which is a small <laughs> charred oak tank. And they're making hot sauces in them because uh, hot sauce is a fermented. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Tabasco has an island off of Louisiana. Yep. With I think about three thousand barrels wow. of uh, Tabasco sauce aging in the yeah. barrels. Crazy. And did you? There's a oh, up in Hudson. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. There's a hot sauce. Um, oh yeah, I can't. Yeah. And they're uh, they're they actually use a the the hot sauce actually has to be refrigerated because it, it's a probiotic hot sauce. Oh really? So they don't kill the the, right. the bacteria and yeah. yeast, and they actually it they still flavors it as yeah. it goes, kind of thing. So. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of industries. Uh, ginger ale uh, used to be uh, uh, that. Ginger uh, ale in used to be aged in barrels. What Worcestershire sauce? Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. A lot of things relied on it because again, that was the only large scale containers they yeah, right. had access to. You just thought you don't think about right. these things, right, right, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, the original ginger ale cool. have been made that way. And do you um, have you out of all these different barrels? Um, do you ha do you offer has anybody asked to do classes or um, uh, yeah, we had apprentice? A class. I mean, it's it's a it's an art form. Where where I get my barrels from are from the cookie cutters. I won't name them, um, but you know who they are. And um, 
you know, you just, you order the barrels and they show up and that's it. And, but what you're doing is such an art form and there's only a handful of people that are doing it. Yeah, they do it by hand like we do, yeah. Right. Yeah, they call us boutique cooperage. Uh, yeah, we're not doing, you know, there's places that make 2,400 barrels a day. Yeah. Like, I just imagine the wood that has to come in the building. It's crazy. That. Yeah. And yeah, it's automated. And even all these new places, Brown Foreman, they're all opening new plants and they're highly automated. Uh, so yeah, but we're just doing our thing. And uh, what did you ask me if anybody ever asked me to do what? To intern. Oh, or intern, yes, people have come. But, you know, everybody comes and they think they're going to make a guitar yeah, or, right, or a right. boat. <laughs> right. And you're just really it's standing It's not the world you imagined. <laughs> it's not. Teach me, Obi-Wan. Yes. yes. <laughs> Obi-Wan will make you stand in front of a, a yeah. chunk of wood and put it on the sword. You will, you will apprentice for five <laughs> yeah. years <laughs> yeah, no. without food and no, no footwear. And I'm I did that. I, that's what I did in South Philly when I was a teenager. Um, I did that. And it is very hard. And, yes, I've had two young men uh, who came and who have worked but you know the majority of this work is monotonous milling yeah, I'm um, sure. and uh, yeah no they moved on yeah, so people do come in um, you know it's hard because it's a dangerous uh, profession the, right. yeah the machines are very dangerous yeah. um, you know and there's a lot of a lot of pounding there's a lot of hammering that adds that we talked about before that hammer you know we're hammering constantly right. Right. yeah I, I'm looking at your hands and just <laughs> just looking at John's hands, you can. I, I think that's called COVID hands, mate. <laughs> oh, no, those are Cooper's hands. Same boat. My hands are as shot as yours. Uh, <laughs> yeah, those are Cooper's. Yeah, hands. they are. Yes, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's a lot. A of, yeah, so it's a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of milling and stuff, yeah. and uh, and hammering. So, but yeah, people do come in uh, to ask. I had a doctor come in one day, and I, we worked him really hard, and he never he never came back. But <laughs> but I, I hope you know he got what he wanted. He wanted to you know a lot of people. I, I understand the desire to make something with tools or by hand. If you don't have that sort of profession, I've right. used to sit on a screen all day, right. go to office buildings. I get it. You right. know, you want to make something. Right. Yeah, that's a therapy session. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, uh, we had a, and we also had a. Uh, what's it called uh, when they bring managers in and uh, motive? Oh, uh, like a work day. We had people yeah. come in and yeah, and I would set them up. Supervision. Do these, do these strategies <laughs> and try to build a barrel uh, okay. together. And, uh, Analyzation. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so that's that actually kind of cool. Yeah, and, and I get it. Look, everybody comes up and says the same thing. My grandfather had a shop. <laughs> I'm sure my that. uncle oh, had yeah, tools yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, and everybody has this nostalgia because because right. that's what our grandfathers and uncles did. There's a lot more <laughs> manufacturing then, and there's just there's no opportunities, and I get it. But on the other hand, it's impossible to find people. Yeah, and all my woodworking friends say this, and I was shocked. People were like, "What do you expect?" I was like, "Not." Th- I expected. All right, line, get a line. Right, <laughs> we'll take you one at a time, and uh, have you come in, and we'll talk. But no, so it is really hard uh, to find people who want to work in manufacturing. Yeah, are there many Coopers around? No. Most uh, of them I'm, have died. <laughs> yeah. I'm one of 33. <laughs> I'm one of 33 <laughs> like Cooper Jets in America. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. One of 33. And that number is actually probably grown. York? No, not New York. No, no. In, in the In the country? Grown? No, yeah, I think it it's actually gone down. It's gone down because of... Because Coopers are closing. Um, yeah. There, there's basically... There's a few big ones in Kentucky. Um, the Scots have opened two up recently. They're, they're Napa. But there's only about five or six who are doing it like we're doing it 
Good for you, man. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, the industry stopped, and uh, and it's been wonderful doing the culinary stuff, you know, because I can't just yeah, sure. rely on the whiskey barrels. Yeah, right. They take a long... All these things take a long time to make. It's it's hard. Right? Yeah. And is there a... It would be interesting if there was, like, a guild. Because I'm sure... There is, and I've been okay. told. Yeah, no, and but it, again, it's a lot of executives who go golfing in Florida, which yeah. is great. But I, I don't, that's not yeah. last week. <laughs> Thinking yeah. it but, went for me. But um, yeah, so there is, there's the, there's the ACAA. Um, in in England, uh, there's a livery and, uh, and guilds. And I had a gentleman come here. Him and his six brothers were all trained to be uh, Coopers and they all got jobs. So that's what should be happening. I should be able to go. Right. That's and kind tap of what I'm into a local ex- pool of trained. Uh, we're here in my friend's upholstery shop, which is next door, uh, doing the podcast. But um, that's what it used to be. You used to be able to go get trained upholsterers or trained cabinet makers, mill work, and you just can't even find that. So now you're trying to find people who may or may right. not be interested. Don't you think that's going to like? I feel like that's slowly turning around back to what it was. Like people want additional quality as opposed to being able to go out and buy cheap shit as opposed to finding someone who's going to make them quality stuff that they need correct right yeah but so with the lack of manufacturing though um it's more about finding people so i have to bring people in here who they might like this they might not right Uh, if i went down to the local livery where they were training the coopers the the person's already made a decision right coming in here i'm not trying to help you on your life quest your your pool to choose from is not that big (laughs) right the pool to choose from is not and uh you know, and there's some trade schools, you know, for heating or plumbing or stuff like right. that. And that industry still works on that. But it used to be that all this manufacturing had it. So, um, yeah. And if I was larger, maybe we can bring people into apprentice. But, yeah, it is hard. But, yeah, people do want handmade stuff. But it's yeah. just, it's not out there. Yeah. And um, and it's hard to get the training. I was lucky. I got an old-fashioned apprenticeship. But, that's great. Uh, you know, that's hard to do now in yeah. large automated shops. You got lucky. And also, I mean, yeah. you're. it's also fascinating that you diversified, you know, and you are going, looking at other countries and what their vessels are. And you can kind of bring that artists in here and try and recreate that and you know it's um it's not a monoculture of just barrels you know it's, i'm trying to be a so full rounded cooperage yeah right i'm not yeah. we're not an automated whiskey barrel factory and there are you asked in new york yet yeah, there's um there's myself and then there's a larger company adirondacks i think they do about 60 barrels a week yep uh, they got nice machines up there and uh you know and that's what they're set up to do and we're set up more you know i do repair we do recouping uh, some of my clients now, you know, they're bringing back the barrels after they've emptied them, and we're re-scraping them, re-toasting them, re-charring them. Uh, they're doing single malts in them and stuff. So that's good. Yeah, and in fact, we recently started doing hot tubs. Uh, this that's area, so cool. <laughs> this so area, how do they operate? Yeah, we're looking same. at a picture of a hot tub. Uh, I know. Yeah, I just want to jump in, man. Yeah, so, th- so again, that tank there is the same build. As, as a hot guy. tub, as a silo. So our right. shop is set up to do. Our, my shop is set up to cut staves. It's set up to put heads in, and the hot tub's just a larger version of that. Uh, we offer a wood-fired hot tub. Uh, it's a snorkel stove from the company in California, and that's a wood-burning stove that's in the tank with you. So does that go underneath the tank? No, it's in the tank. There's a small fence that divides the tank up into a small section, and in there is a stove that you're feeding from the top, and there's a chimney. 
Um, That's cool. That's fascinating. Yeah. So there's no. The nice yeah. thing is, so there's no propane and no electric. So if right. you wanted to put a hot tub out back, you got to run propane and the plumbing right, right, and all right, that. Right, yeah. So because, uh, like I said earlier, we sent five tanks to Chuckanut Bay Distillery in Seattle. They could have easily just got in those tanks as a hot tub because there's no difference other than the wood. Uh, the exterior hot uh, the exterior hot tub is cedar. Um, that's used because it's rot and mold resistant. And our tanks are fur, and they're using interior. But it's the same. How long does it take uh, to heat up the water? Uh, once you get it up to like 80 or 90 degrees, that, that usually takes about a half a day. And then they keep it, it vacillates them between 80 and 100 degrees. Just keep degrees. it stoked. You got to keep it stoked. You are right. getting something that is right. not flicking a switch. And yeah, we right. do tell people this right. is, right. yeah, you're making a commitment. Yeah, right. It's an it's a time investment. Yeah, but most of the That's people cool. who are interested in yeah, these yeah, yeah. know know what it is right. and uh, shove a log that. in every couple of hours. Yeah. That's cool, man. Or make soup. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually char the outside of the tub, uh, which is a technique uh, called uh, shoisugi bomb, um, which they do in Japan. They burn the exterior of their wood uh, to use it as a repellent. You know, Instead of painting the outside of the house, they burn it. And it's been a very popular... Huh. Uh, look in the interiors world lately and, and a lot of fencing and everything so we did it on the outside of the tub so it looks it's like a preservative yeah it looks like it was stained right but it's actually yeah. charred it's like actually the charred. barrel is yeah. so it, and it's preserved yeah, yeah it preserves it more yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. wow it's crazy this has been fascinating yeah hey guys yeah <laughs> thanks man talk a lot <laughs> it's uh thank you so much for sharing um no where problem. do you where do you see the kind of industry going where do you see yourself going with this uh you know we're just going to keep going i think there's a need for tanks and large-scale tanks um there's not many other people who do it so that's been great and uh i I don't know just continue to have a small shop here and uh you know before the pandemic we were doing tours and i was doing a lecture circuit and i'd like to go back to doing that that was fun um, it's coming so back. Yeah, it'll yeah. come back. Yeah. So that's it. I, you know, just work a room of 100 people talking about barrel lore <laughs> and coopering. It's fun. That's cool. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and all right. So if if people want to get in touch with you, um, if people want to get in touch with Instagram. Me, yeah. We also now have an Instagram store so you can shop on Instagram. Um, we're on Facebook. It's Quercus, Q U E R C U S underscore Cooperage. If you hit, uh, you know, New York Cooperage on the Google search, I'll be one of the people who come up. Yeah, we'll, we'll and, post that. Yeah, we'll post that. Yeah, yeah, you can go to my, and uh, there's other interviews, and uh, there's a documentary on our website and some other uh, uh, stuff that we've done. Yeah, so, or, and feel free to reach out, uh, email, and uh, yeah, we love talking barrels. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much, John. Awesome. Um, we have some barrels aging uh, with uh, some rye whiskey that's going to be coming out in the fall. Looking excited, forward. Yeah. yeah, we're super excited. So, um, all right. So, uh, yeah. Cheers, man. Cheers. And, Cheers. Uh, we will we'll see you on the next podcast. Take care, everybody. Thanks for stopping by and listening in. Check us out as well as other great podcasts at Food and Beverage Magazine's Podcast Network. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And remember to eat, imbibe, and dream. See you next show.